For the Sarah Lawrence Library, I'm Tim Kale, and this is the Sarah Lawrence Library Podcast. For today's episode, we're joined by Sarah Lawrence alum and new staff member, Salem Hunter, for a lovely conversation about life as an SLC student, the natural world, and video games. Before we go any further, though, I'd like to encourage you to give the podcast a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. These reviews are essential in us climbing the podcast ranks and finding our audience. You can connect with us on social media at SLC Library on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Also remember to visit the library website where you can check your library account, reserve a study room, or book a consultation with one of our research librarians at sarahlawrence.edu slash library. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions that you'd rather not share over social media, email me at fkale at sarahlawrence.edu. Thank you for joining us on this auditory adventure. I'm always excited to see what we'll discover next, and I really appreciate Salem's insights, and I know you will too. Now let's get into this episode. Please state your name, your preferred pronouns, and your job title. Salem Hunter, they, them pronouns, and my title is Evening Access Services Assistant. Evening Access Services Assistant. Yes. And what what will you be assisting with? Um, a bit of everything, really. Um, I, my primary job, like, well, as the title says, it's evening access services, um, which So what is, are your hours? Well, my hours are 4 to 5 p.m. all the way to midnight or 1 a.m. Oh, wow. Um, so... Basically, I'm just here to help the student workers at night and make sure that if anything goes wrong, there is, you know, someone who can hopefully handle the situation at least a little better than the student workers. Um, You know, and I have a lot more resources than the student workers and a lot of what I do is just trying to help access services and you know, make sure that the students are comfortable and that they have everything that they need. Um, my my big thing for when the semester is currently, or when the semester is going on, mm-hmm. um, my biggest thing is just making sure that the students, that the student workers are, like, fully able to handle what they need, you know something as simple as do they need bathroom breaks Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, something that I can handle where I can cover for them. And, you know, it can be something as simple as that to as complex as, although this doesn't happen very often, but a patron getting upset and either Mm -hmm. yelling at them or causing a scene. And for me, it's really just trying to figure out how I can deescalate situations and move forward. Um, and keep the night mellow. <laughs> <laughs> well, to that point, you got us all very interested in this book, The Black Belt for, what's the title of it? It's called The Black Belt Librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, Christy, the head of Access Services, originally showed it, or mentioned it, and I dug it out of the stacks. Um, 
it really goes over just like how to use martial arts mentality. So not actual martial arts, but just kind of the, the thought process behind it mm-hmm. to really make librarians. I think, I think the word that they use in the book is like less meek. Um, and just kind of more capable of handling situations. It's a it's a book designed for public libraries, which get a lot more chaotic. Mm-hmm. But I've already found it very helpful and very enlightening. That's great. That's great. So the library, for those who don't know, is divided into different departments, like uh, ILL and tech services and research services and administrative the administration portion of the office. Access is one of those departments. Could you describe what is, for people who have absolutely no idea, what is access? So from my understanding, it is really, it really encompasses the actual, like, patron, librarian dynamic. So it's everything from helping patrons find things, answering patrons' questions, and checking books out to them, and um, just really making sure that the library runs smoothly on the front end. Uh Um, A lot of those other departments are back end and are immensely important to the library, but I feel like access services is usually what everyone sees when they think of libraries yes yeah that's very true i like to think of it as the public versus private portions of the library like they have distinctions there and it took me i remember working here for a number of years and not even really understanding that there were departments (laughs) (laughs) i was just like coming in and ordering paper and putting like chairs back in place and just doing various administrative stuff and then when I found out there's like actual departments I felt like doors opening in my brain and I was like wow I've been thinking about the library in a very small way and now there are these departments and I'm a part of the I was a part of no department in the beginning yeah now I'm a part of access which feels good do you like do you like access I I really do I think realistically you know I'm early on in my library career um i was a student worker for a year and a half or two years and then you know i've only been on as at this position for a couple months um but i can definitely see myself in the future going towards something that has to do with access services um my current thing in my brain that is like a hmm, maybe that could be something that I want to focus on later on is like young adults and children's librarians mm. um, which would be very front forward and access services anyways so mm-hmm. that's great so you are am I correct the class of 2021 yes okay. uh, technically December 2021 and oh, okay. um, so you know, I graduated a semester late, mostly because of the pandemic, but also because it worked with um, 
like a summer, the Sarah Lawrence summer science program that I did several years of, and I didn't get a chance to do it when the pandemic started. And so I wanted to finish out and do one more year of it. And that final little semester, let me, let me uh, do it because you can't do it when you're alumni. So, so what uh, what did the pandemic do to your time here at Sarah Lawrence? Oh gosh, um, I mean it. it Isn't changed that such a dystopian? Que- Is that such a dystopian question? Yeah, like we're we're living in a sci-fi novel. Like I just asked you what the pandemic did to your education, <laughs> but I'm sorry, I talked over your answer, which was very no. Good. I mean. Um, so if you could give your answer again, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. The first the first thing that comes to mind is when the pandemic first started, before it was really public and a week before the school like closed its doors, we got this email from um, a bunch of the higher ups in administration. Basically, it was targeted towards my small like dormitory of I think there were seven or nine of us and it was like hey so you're well they didn't actually tell us until the meeting that was scheduled but the gist of the whole thing was hey your dorm is getting used for quarantine dorming oh wow so don't worry we're not kicking you out but we are moving you okay and so you know, long short story short, I went through that first move. And then two days later, the state of New York shut down mm-hmm. all of the college campuses and said, you know, yeah. you can't stay here, but you don't have to go home. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends and I were in a panic because... We either have like immunocompromised parents or grandparents that are, you know, within our household. And we were like, well, shoot, what can we do? So we rented an Airbnb and that was kind of the start of doing online courses in and trying to figure out just like things that college students in their junior year of college should not have to worry about. Um, But it was fine. The following year, I lived in a house with five other Sarah Lawrence students. And then I eventually have been able to, like, move in with my partner. And so it's just the two of us and our cat now. Um, But, yeah, I mean for classes it was how do we work in a lab when we're not allowed to be on campus Mm. um because i was a science student primarily um ecology and botany um and the fall semester after the pandemic started i applied for a job at the library as a student worker because I was like, this is going to be the only way that I can see real humans and Mm -hmm. interact. And it was really a blessing of being able to learn and have a deeper understanding of how the library works as well as, you know, just being able to see people. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you were to sum up your experience at Sarah Lawrence, was it good? Was it bad? Was it somewhere in between? Um, I would say that it's it was good. Okay, I great. I know that some students don't necessarily have that opinion, but I am of the group that loves Sarah Lawrence and truly believes that Sarah Lawrence can be better and already is a very great institution, but that there's always room for improvement. And so what are some areas that are room for improvement? Well, I think the like communication with administration to students is something that Sarah Lawrence has struggled with in the past. Um, I know that there are, that there have been a lot of transitions within administration. And so I can't talk about, you know, how it is currently, but there were very much some times in my Sarah Lawrence career where I didn't feel heard or I felt like there should be more of a like give take mentality rather than just like uh, here's what you're going to do. You have no input. This is how it goes because that doesn't necessarily go along with the institution's like principles and mission, which, you know, if the course get like selections and course requirements or any sort of indicator, I think, you know, the school has great potential to really, foster each individual student's needs and drive those students towards the goals that they want to achieve Mm -hmm. rather than the goals that they think they need to achieve. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you studied botany, ecology, and sculpture. Yes. Okay. So that's a fascinating blend of things, as is usually the case with Sarah Lawrence students. (laughs) So... Again, uh, for people who just don't know, if you could just describe what is botany so, and what about it captured your imagination? Yeah. So botany is the study of plants. And that's really all there is to the definition. Um, it's pretty open-ended. Everyone should know what a plant is. Um, and... I love I, that. Everyone should know what a plant is. <laughs> that, that's like one of my favorite things we anyone eat has it, said. We see it. Yeah. We know what trees are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, during my time at Sarah Lawrence, my favorite plant family, because plants are classified in these large trees, which are uh, like species is the individual each individual plant and then genus is the next group and then uh family is kind of the next big group um my favorite family was the mint family and the mint family so mint lavender oregano um a lot of herbs Mm -hmm. most of your like herb cabinet yeah are Lamiaceae, which is the mint family mm. official name. Um, yeah, and it it was it was fun, and I still 
am wanting to continue in the botany like field but more of as a hobby mm-hmm. rather than as you know my full career path um yeah because I, I think library suits me a lot better okay okay so what is ecology and what about it interested you so ecology is really the study of how living things and non-living things work together. It, it interested me because I've always been interested in how the natural world works. Um, and, you know, coming from California, we have the El Nino, La Nina, Southern Pacific Oscillation pattern, which is like a a weather pattern that has to do with the Pacific Ocean. Um, And there are some really cool like drought resistant plants and just how I've done, I've done a lot of research on how fires in moderation can actually benefit certain ecosystems. Um, So certain, you know, areas that house unique plants and animals and, all of the above. Um, but what really drew that drew me to that was the aspect of like climate change and how, how could I look at that and maybe make an impact or at least educate more people about the effects. So that's fascinating and I think really good that you've had that reaction to climate change. Yeah. You, some people, when they learn about the disastrous effects we're having on the climate, fall into a depression. They fall into a kind of uh, defeatist malaise. Yeah. Where they just feel like they can't do anything about it. And if we reach this so-and-so degree, there's no coming back from that. Um, I, had a, I have had friends who have taken that stance. But it sounds like you went the opposite route and went kind of empowered uh, and was like, okay, well, what can I do to make things better? Is that fair? Yeah. Um, and to be fair, some of the things that I do in the name of, like, climate change prevention are not necessarily all that beneficial, but it gives me more of a peace of mind. Like my partner is always complaining when they're brushing their teeth and I turn the tap off (laughs) (laughs) and they're like, I'm using it. No, that's good. That's good. (laughs) Because I I try to do that exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I think, the biggest thing with climate change is just educating people that it's not over yet and that the fight is still going and every little thing that we can do, we should, but also it's not an individual, like something that I've definitely learned even more recently is that it's not an individual fight. And that in order for it all to work, it has to happen at 
you know, a city level, a county level, a company level, yep. a state level, and a, a global level. Yep. Um, and so, you know, every little bit that we do counts, but also shouts louder to the people above us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And puts more pressure on them. Do you have a car? No. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we both have what, yes. under 10 minute walk to work. That is so. true. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I found living without a car. I miss driving because I do love driving, but I've adjusted very quickly to living without a car. Yeah. There are times when I wish I had a car or at least that renting cars were cheaper. Yes, I know. It should be, right? Yeah. Um, like when there were the zip cars. I loved the zip cars. They were great. Yeah, zip cars zip cars were great. Um, but unfortunately, you know, they're not here anymore. Yeah. And so it's it's rough. I have an electric bicycle with a basket in it and you know, we we do what we can for groceries and stuff like that. But Oh, so you don't go to like, um, you don't have stop and shop deliver anything to you or like. Sometimes. Okay. We probably more often than we should, we use Instacart and shipped. Okay. Um, but you know, those, those are also someone in a car driving to deliver stuff to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from an ecological standpoint, it's not the best, Mm -hmm. but especially um, with, you know, schedules and also, like, accessibility stuff. Going into a grocery store is a lot. Mm -hmm. And I tip very generously to everyone who delivers my groceries because I am a big believer in both tipping and also just rewarding people for doing the things that I don't want to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so you said that you've always been interested in how the natural world works. Mm-hmm. So could you describe the beginning of that? Like where were you a child and, and something about nature just captivated you? And if so, could you describe how and why? Yeah. I mean, I was always an outdoorsy kid, um, always climbing in trees uh, scraping my knees, falling. Um, my mom took us camping a lot. Um, but probably the moment when like, like my first, my first moment when I knew that like, okay, something to do with the natural world is probably how I want to live my life was when I was in Yosemite. Mm. Um, And there's this really beautiful spot in Yosemite that is halfway in between Lower Yosemite Falls and Upper Yosemite Falls. And you have to kind of boulder to it. Um, But once you get up there, there's this beautiful little pool that has like the mist of a waterfall trickling down. It only works in like late July or August because at that point the rapids are, you know, so mellow. But... um, just looking out like around the Yosemite Valley area from that view was like, wow, I, I could really see myself doing this for the rest of my life. But then of course, um, like disability stuff got in the way. And so Mm. suddenly, oh, well, I was probably going to have to spend my time in a lab and, 
research out in the field was going to be a lot harder for me. So may I ask why? Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia a couple years ago. Um, and I still need to go see a doctor for like the rest of the diagnoses. Cause I know there are more, mm-hmm. but it, it basically just means that I have pain flare ups at random points in time. Sometimes they are, you know, because of the weather or overworking myself or, you know, other things like that. But, you know, sometimes it's really just random. And Mm -hmm. so like I was out yesterday because of it. Um, But I, I don't know. I finally got a great therapist who also has um, chronic health stuff who has really been working on the process of just getting me to slow down Mm. and to not take on, you know, 200% of what I can do because, Mm -hmm. well, I can do it one day. The next day is going to suck. And so, you know, really trying to balance that. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like library science and libraries in general are so great because it is much more of a like slowed down mentality and I can push myself or like find different projects that I want to be working on and to keep my time, you know, busy, Mm -hmm. but there's not the pressure of deadlines or grant deadlines (laughs) and grant funding Mm -hmm. that there was in science. So you've been working at the library for a couple months? Yeah, since, I think, just after Thanksgiving break. Oh, okay. It seemed a lot longer already. (laughs) Um, And maybe that's just indicative of how much I feel like I fit in here already. That's great. My question for you is, what was your reaction when you found out you got the job? Oh, I was was so happy. I was not feeling fulfilled or satisfied with my previous job. And I felt like my disability was really getting in the way. Um, But also it just meant that I got to work with people that I knew from previous like work experience because I was a student worker here And it really just meant that I could, like, start the new career path that I have really always known that I wanted to do. Because ever since I was, like, you know, maybe three, I was like, I one day want to be that crotchety old librarian who (laughs) (laughs) tells people to be quiet, but also gives great book recommendations. (laughs) Um, And so I just kind of moved up the timeline a little. And I think it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. That's great. Uh, Yeah, well, we're all very happy that you're here. Um, What have been your primary concerns with the job thus far? Um transitioning back and forth between nine to fives and my late nights. Yes. Yeah. How is that work? How is that working? I love the late nights. Um, I have 
tried to make myself a morning person for the past several years and it really doesn't work. Mm. Um, I'm tired. I get flare ups more often in the morning. Mm. Um, and usually by, if I have like a flare up or a migraine by 3 PM, I'm fine. And so that means that by an hour before my shift starts, I'm fine and I'm ready to go. Okay. Um, so it's funny how it kind of works out that way. But like, especially in the first week that I had to transition to nine to five, mm-hmm. I was so tired and was like, it was originally supposed to be 10 to five, but I've kind of, or 10 to six. Um, but that the library's open from nine to five. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to shift it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can actually be here when the library's open and I don't have to be the only one in the library at night <laughs> um, after it closes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the transition was not great. I'm looking forward to the transition back, Okay. but not looking forward to transitioning again in the summer. If I end up working, that's over right. The summer. That's right. The other biggest challenge is figuring out what I know and what I don't know already, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of little things that could just not have an answer to them. Or, you know, it's already a protocol that I have no idea mm-hmm. about. Um, Each of us is our own kind of repository of obscure information. Yes. And I've definitely been, you know, asking as many questions as I can. And I was asking Jeff a lot of questions at the beginning. Um, Jeff was the perfect person to ask. Yeah. Because he's been here for like 20 years. Angelica also. Yeah. Over 20 yeah, because um, Angelica's at 20 years and Jeff is at 24, right? Yeah, that's right. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah. you're at eight. I'm at eight. Yep. Which, is the, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, then it goes, it goes Jeff, Angelica, me, and then Julie. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you never know one day. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny how the years can go by like in a blink. Yeah. They really can. So it's like, you gotta like really take time to savor them. Is, do you have any, anything like a meditation practice or a routine that you, that you perform regularly so as to kind of savor the moment? Not in like the traditional sense and not certainly not as much as I would like to whenever I'm feeling stressed out. I, my go-to is always to pet the cat. That's great. And petting the cat will calm me down, but also give me a moment where I just have to focus on petting the cat and I yeah. can't like stress about anything else. I can't bring that because my cat's very vocal too. And so she's, if she can tell that your mind's not exclusively on her and on petting her, um, she'll get upset. <laughs> so <That's laughs> she'll <great>. yowl. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Hera. Hera. Like the Greek goddess. That's awesome. That's a great name. Uh, so you were a supervisor, yes. right? When you were a student worker well, here. I was actually a circulation assistant where the final semester where of, that I was here, I didn't want them to have to like train me for a semester and then leave. Oh, okay. So I was given the option of picking up shift supervisor position, like openings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was still technically a circulation assistant. Okay. That makes sense. Um, 
But I remember working with you. Yes. One Saturday in particular. It was the first time we worked together. We may have done a couple more times afterwards. But I remember working one Saturday, and I was so impressed with you that at the end of the day, I said, you're a really great worker, and I think I said, you're a lovely person. (laughs) (laughs) So my question for you is, and this might be, be a little bit of a strange question, but I hope you'll humor me. Where does your goodness come from? Oh, um, I don't know. I think I, hmm, um, (laughs) I, I think I got to a point in, in high school where I was kind of like, you know, I was one of the kind of emo kids of like, don't talk to me. I don't want to interact with you. Um, And then once I kind of dropped that, I really just wanted to make others happy. And I think to a detriment, I try to make others happy. Um, But it's really... I think it's really just as simple as saying I want to make my little world a better place and how can each interaction I have with someone at the very least not negatively infect, affect their day. Um, but sometimes, you know, I'll go as far to say, how can I improve everyone's day? So, oh, sorry. Oh, and not not every day has to be a you know how can I improve everyone else's day, which is something that I'm also working on drawing back a little. But I think it's really just a matter of yeah making that realization of I want to do better and I I want to be nice. <laughs> so would it be fair to say that kindness is a is a value yes. of yours? So is there anyone in your life? who modeled that behavior that was an inspiration for wanting to live the way you are? Um, I think my grandpa really did. He, he valued like inquisitiveness and, you know, from a very young age, he died when I was six, but, um, from a very young age, he was just answering any of the little questions I had as a, you know, toddler and a small child of how the world works. And, you know, he would sit me down and do like bee anatomy because I wanted to know how bees worked. Um, but I think that patience and that kindness really just kind of rolled over to how I remember him. And I don't even necessarily remember him as, you know, the smart person who always asked questions. I remember him as someone who was kind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the rest of my family holds a high emphasis on like smarts and intellect. And I don't know, growing up in that kind of environment, I've always been like, why don't we throw nice in there too? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, now that you've had the college experience, 
What advice do you have for students to get the most out of their time here at SLC? Go to the writing center. Go to the reference librarians. Set appointments. Your conference project does not have to be 100% like your doing and your failures in it. And I think that kind of ties into the bigger thing of um, really just making sure that you talk with everyone. My communication when I first started college was really not good. Um, I was skipping assignments and not communicating with teachers about it. And then by the end, I, um, my professor who was kind of my pseudo Don, Michelle Hirsch, she really like drove that into me and worked with me as much as possible. Like you really have to improve your communication. And I think that, you know, everyone, nobody wants to be the bad guy. I mean, maybe a few people want to be the bad guy, but nobody, nobody wants is becomes who, especially who becomes a teacher wants to like rain on people's parades. And so it's really just a matter of communicating, communicating and communicating and appealing to their humanity. And if you need to take extensions, ask for them well in advance and just take as many opportunities, you know, go to the events, do, do fun stuff. Don't just hang around in your dorm, you know, alone or with friends. Mm -hmm. Um, there are so many more activities and so many activities that Sarah Lawrence puts on that, you know, are either under attended or forgotten about like do that. It's, it's hurting no one to stop in and say, like, if you go in and s stop into an event and then say, actually, 10 minutes in, I'm not really interested in this and leave. That's fine. Nobody's going to judge you for that. Mm -hmm. But just making sure that you do the things and you interact with the campus and you communicate. I think those are the key points. That's great. I hope students are listening. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, so with some people who I know are listening are parents of SLC students. So what advice do you have for parents of SLC students? I think Sarah Lawrence is really conducive to figuring out what you want to do in your life. And so I think parents of students who go to SLC should not be trying to kind of pipeline them into a certain direction. Um, I think, you know, if your pre-med student wants to take an art class, let them, you know, if, if they're excited, if you're excited, if your student or if your child is excited about, a class, then that's the class for them. I think more often than not, I hear stories of parents being like, well, that's like not part of your plan or not part of our plan. <laughs> and so often the parents put on these expectations that once the students in college, they're going to thrive. They're going to become an entirely different person. And 
the you know child that they had in high school or in middle school or in elementary school is not the person who the college student is today. And I think that that's a, a big thing for parents to remember, right. as hard as that is to hear sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a gamer, yes? Yes. Awesome. Same. <laughs> uh, what video games were most important to you growing up? Oh, growing up? Yeah. Um, the first game I ever completed by myself was New Super Mario Bros. Mm. on the DS. It was very difficult. I lost many saves to like, you know, dying over and over again. But I think that sense of accomplishment was really nice. And I'm not really a gamer who finishes a lot of games. Mm. But that was good. Another great one was Pet Vet, which <laughs> um, was just like, uh, you're a veterinarian. And um, it would be like, my budgie has raw areas. What can you do for that? Um, and I think that that, you know, really fostered my love of animals and my ability to. Um, I, I took care of a cat for a while growing up. Um, that got into a lot of fights because it was a street cat mm -hmm. and it had to be like, uh, had like, it had to have drainage tubes at one point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not being squeamish about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what other games are like staples of my childhood. I, I'm what, not sure. What consoles did you have? Well, I, or PC, I started with a DS, okay. a DS light. Okay. Um, I never got a, like any of the upgrades to my DS. My uh, younger sister did, but, you know, she she was getting everything. Um, <laughs> so you have siblings. How many siblings do you have? Um, I have an older half-sister who's 18 years older than me, who now has two kids of her own. Um, and I have a younger sister who is technically a cousin, but I call her a sister. Because our two single mothers raised us together for like 10 years of our lives mm -hmm. um, and 10 of the most, you know, formative years of our lives. Um, so she's always been more of a sister to me than a cousin. Okay. Um, but we also had a Wii. Okay. And then I think we had an Xbox for a brief period of time, but that okay. didn't really last very long. Mm -hmm. Um my uh, younger sister's mom was very much one of those parents where, like, if, like, we played a lot of Sims growing up, mm. um, especially at my best friend's house across the street. But when we got it for our own thing, um, she, like, spent all this time making the house and then forgot a toilet. And so her mom walked in on one of the sims like blurred out but peeing <laughs> on the floor and she was like absolutely not and got rid of the game oh <laughs> uh, that's funny so and it's just funny because the sims games are like some of the tamest yeah games in reality yeah there's no blood there's no gore no. there's yeah everything's blurred out yeah and it's really just like raise a family live a life yes. that's all there is yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so what games do you play now? Oh, well now I play, 
Valheim, Ooh. which is kind of Viking Minecraft meets Dark Souls. And then Civilization VI, which is a turn-based strategy game. Um, play some Stardew Valley. Um, Ori in the Blind Forest. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Do you, have you played um, Child of Light? No, I have not. Check out Child of Light. So right now, what console do you have? Right now, I exclusively game on a laptop, which oh, okay. is... Supposed to be high powered, but I bought it at the peak chip shortage okay. crisis. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't get very good bang for my buck. Okay. <laughs> um, I well, you might be. I, I don't know how it works on PC, but Child of Light. Um, it's an awesome, beautiful game about this uh, this princess who's died, and it's her experience of the afterlife. Ooh. And it's a turn-based game with just beautiful hand-drawn artwork. Um, your mentioning of Bl- Ori in the Blind Forest reminded me of it. Yeah. So chances are you would like it. Awesome. Um, if you had one thing, just one thing you wanted people to know about Sarah Lawrence College, what would that one thing be? It's not a women's college. <laughs> it hasn't been a women's college since the 70s. Yes. That's the biggest question I get asked <laughs> whenever anyone who is outside of Sarah Lawrence finds out that I went or was going to Sarah Lawrence. It's not a women's college. <laughs> um, and finally, feel free to ask whatever you'd like. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Um, so what, since you are now the third longest yeah. Uh, tenure at the library. What would be advice that you could give to me for someone who is just starting out in their library career? Well, the first things first is you're going to do great. Uh, Thanks. You're going to do great because of that value we talked about before, kindness in particular. I think we are a majority kind staff. Um, I think that's what people are leading with here. Um, And that's just not always the case. You know, there have been some stretches of time here I've experienced where that's not been the case always. And, you know, I think I sense that you're probably a fairly empathic person. Am I correct about that? Yes. So life tends to be a little difficult sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) So the best advice I could give for you is... Uh, really take the time to develop appropriate boundaries between yourself and this place. Because what can happen when you're an earnest person and when you're an empathic person and and when you sympathize with people, you can give a lot of yourself to whatever your focus has to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned that your therapist was talking about you about this very issue and like wanting to rein it in a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do because it's like if something happens at work or if I'm given a task, I want to do a really good job, right? And I want to do the the best of my ability and all that jazz. And I can end up poisoning my mind with this um, need to be perfect or or, or if if something happens and like there's an infraction on that value of kindness. Let's say there's a patron who is 
particularly rude. I don't want to spend the rest of my day thinking about that, but I very easily could. Yeah. And I think most empathic people, that's what it's like. If there's an infraction on the value of kindness, it could ruin your day. And what I would just recommend is build up some barriers between yourself and this place that are going to help you, that are going to keep work at work. And even though, and it's easy to forget that sometimes, because sometimes we all have like nice conversations and we're all friend, friendly with each other. Uh, so it's easy to kind of let the worlds collapse in on themselves and you find yourself getting really stressed about something that really doesn't require that much stress or shouldn't require that much stress. Yeah. Um, it's taken me a while. I, th- I think I'm, I'm not totally there. Um, but I, and I don't, and I, I think it's, it's just, it's hard to do. It's hard to do, but I think it's necessary. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Anything else? <laughs> um, I think that's it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I think you're going to do great. Um, you've already done great. Uh, everyone likes you. If you ever have any questions or need anything, just let me know. Awesome. Okay. I like everyone, too. <laughs> it's, it's a great place to work. That's great. All right. Thanks, Salem. Thank you. Thus concludes this episode of the Sarah Lawrence Library Podcast. If you'd like more from the SLC Library Podcast, then go back and listen to our other chats with fellow staff members to tide you over until the next episode. Remember to give the podcast a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at SLC Library on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And visit the library website where you can check your library account, reserve a study room, or book a consultation with one of our research librarians at sarahlawrence.edu slash library. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, email me at fkale at sarahlawrence.edu. Music by Owen Anderson. Thank you for sharing your time with us, one and all. We look forward to doing it again next week. But until then, have yourself a very nice day.